Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Bill Press Show. It is Thursday, June 28th. June 28th? I always, when I host, because I never really discuss the date when I'm, like, on the other side of the glass, I'm always shocked at how late in the year it is. Like, June is gone. The summer solstice already happened. The days are getting shorter the- and darker. How metaphorically and literally accurate (laughs) as we shuttle towards darkness yeah yeah a little too on the nose there uh summer solstice summer solstice uh i for one by the way i'm pro it getting darker earlier i know i am in the in the minority there i know a lot of people like oh summer is so great because you get so much more time to do things no 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 i like going to bed nice and early (laughs) i like it dark outside at 6 30 let me go to bed you That's would, what I want. You would love it in Iceland then because it gets dark crazy early and it doesn't turn light until crazy late in the day. That's all I want. Um, I am so also happy. in the minority because I enjoy all seasons equally. I really Whoa. have a pet peeve against people that are like, uh, it's so cold and so dark. And then when summer comes, they're like, it's so muggy. That's it's fair. so hot. I like seasons. I love seasons i grew up without seasons necessarily like i never really had a winter i mm-hmm. never ha- I had snow one time when i was a kid so i'm pro this uh okay we, we've got so so much to talk about and i'm going to warn you right off the bat this is not going to be a pleasant show but i am going to start with a very pleasant story because i've refrained from almost all world cup consumption we've talked about it some on the program uh and i haven't watched any of it really but i was at the gym yesterday and i was watching south korea played defending champions Germany and South Korea won two to nothing was the final score. Now the way that the world cup works is, is sort of funny. Mexico was relying on South Korea to deliver a win. In other words, if Germany won, who is a juggernaut in the, in the 
soccer world, right? Like I mentioned, they are the defending champions, and they're still very, very good. If Germany won, Mexico was out. They were done. But if South Korea won, that means that Mexico stayed alive and they got to move forward. So yesterday I was watching as South Korea beat Germany two to nothing. And I have to tell you, man, the South, those South Korean players, I've never seen sports players or athletes so excited until I saw the fans of Mexico. Mm-hmm. There were several stories and there's video online. Mexico, the fans of Mexico that are at the World Cup, they just went out looking for any South Koreans. They were like, <laughs> "Are you are you a fan of South Korea?" There's video they like there's just like this South Korean soccer fan who was being hoisted on the shoulders of Mexico soccer fans. They're feeding him tequila shots. Oh my gosh. They were so excited. Like Mexico fans obviously their favorite team is mexico mm-hmm. but it's a very very close second south korea like south korea saved mexico's ass and they went <laughs> out and they found like just any south korean soccer fan at the world cup hugging them high-fiving them like i mentioned feeding them tequila shots they were getting mobbed it was awesome it was so awesome wouldn't it be nice if somebody just appeared right now to pour tequila shots down our throats? I would love that. I would love that. <laughs> just like, if hey, only, I'm here. If only America did something as admirable as what South Korea did by knocking mm-hmm. out the Germans. Unfortunately, it doesn't appear as though that's going to happen. Gosh, you know, we were just saying this before we were on air, but I feel like it's always, buckle up. It's always a sad show when it's me and you, Peter. I know. Always. Always. Uh, I would love to come on one day and talk about good news, but it does not appear as though that's going to be the case today. Uh, We will talk about the Supreme Court of the United States and the grim future that we are now facing. Stay tuned, everybody. As Ray said, buckle up. we got a lot to cover. I'll be right back. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. It is The Bill Press Show here on a Thursday, June 28th. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. Uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. Uh, This is going to be a bleak show. It's not going to be a fun show. I'm pretty angry and annoyed and uh, a little scared of the direction that we are now going. Thanks in part to the retirement of Justice Anthony Kennedy yesterday. Want to get your thoughts on Twitter at BP show at BP show. Let's first of all, get some particulars out of the way. Uh, Make sure you're following us on Twitter at BP show at BP show. I am on Twitter at Peter Ogburn. I've started tweeting a little bit more, Ray. I, for the most part, I don't tweet very much. But I, I tweet Adele every now and then I'll tweet a little bit. I hope that you're just posting, like, puppy pictures, cat pictures, happy things. I can promise you that it is not that. <laughs> if anything, it's the exact opposite. I mean, I'm just going on basically, I'm just going on Twitter to acknowledge that, yes, in fact, we do live in hell. 
Uh, find me on Twitter, though, at Peter Ogburn. Find the show on Twitter, at BP Show. And just a reminder that we do have our podcast up. It's really, really important. I say this every time, but I, I really do mean it. Uh, people always ask, you know, how can we support the show? How can we help the show? You want to support the show? Go download our podcast. Subscribe to it. Leave a review if you can. Subscribe uh, and, and rate and review. That's what we always say. Subscribe, rate, and review. That would be a huge help for us here on the show. Uh, and we really, really appreciate it. Let's start, first of all, with the uh, decision by the Supreme Court yesterday. You know, it's so it, it's so terrible because yesterday during the show, we were in a bit of a happy mood because there were some big wins uh, for Democrats in the primaries. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez won in New York uh, a whole new generation of Democratic politicians and could be the blueprint for how Democrats run moving forward. That's what I hope. I hope that she is the blueprint and that Democrats sort of find their backbone to run and say, yes, abolish ICE. Yes, we're going to impeach Donald Trump. Yes, I want Medicare for all. That's what I want to see Democrats do instead of being wishy-washy and trying to not be controversial and try to be everything to everyone, including Republicans. So I felt pretty good about it yesterday. Felt pretty good about where we were. I didn't think that this is necessarily going to be a lesson that Democrats will internalize and then make sure that it happens for 2020. But, like, we're going in the right direction. And then the news happened. First of all, the Supreme Court handed down a ruling yesterday that essentially, I mean, I don't really know how to say this without being too hyperbolic, but it cripples public sector unions, especially when it comes down to how unions participate in politics. Uh, this is the Janus case that we knew was coming. Uh, it no longer, the Supreme Court says that uh, unions can no longer require non-union workers to pay fees that allow unions to collectively bargain. In other words, we have a union here on the show. I mean, we we have three full-time employees, right? So, like, it's not like we're a big union shop, but in places where there are big union shops, you have bosses who are being terrible to the workers, which happens often here. I don't know why Republicans want to act like that's not something that happens, but it has it is woven into the fabric of America that employers are really terrible to their employees. But when you have a union, they go forward and they work to make conditions better for everybody. Everybody. Not just the people that are, you know, union dues-paying members, for everybody. And the Supreme Court said basically the unions can no longer go to people who are not members of the union to collect money who have, like, these union members have fought on their behalf. In other words, what else is new? They want a free ride. They want to enjoy and reap the benefits of having a union without actually participating, which is the law of the land here, according to the Supreme Court. So Democrats got a good reminder of just how bad they've screwed things up, especially in 2016. That was a good reminder of how badly we screw things up. But then... To add insult to injury, a couple hours later, we get the report and we get the confirmation that Justice Anthony Kennedy was going to resign. Now, Democrats have made Anthony Kennedy a little bit of a hero, and in some cases, he has absolutely been a hero. 
whether you look at Roe versus Wade, whether you look at LGBT rights, whether you look at a, a number of of uh, socially progressive issues, uh, he's been the swing vote. He was appointed by Ronald Reagan, so that should tell you most of what you need to know about him. But he's fancied himself a bit of a libertarian, and you know how I feel about libertarians. I don't like them. <laughs> I don't like them, but I support their no seatbelt measure. I'm I do just support kidding. that. No. I, do, I, I do have a weird libertarian streak. Okay. I, I, I will admit, I do we'll have a weird We'll put this on the side. Streak. However, uh, Anthony Kennedy has, has on occasion been right. He has on occasion voted the correct way to keep socially progressive things alive whether it's abortion, whether it's gay rights. He is stepping down. And so now we find ourselves in a situation where Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell will get to choose the next Supreme Court justice. There was some immediate hand-wringing over, well, maybe they'll wait until after the midterms. Which you're kidding yourself. Yeah, you are just living under a rock if I, you think that. I saw someone say, like, oh, well, maybe they'll just wait until the midterms. Hashtag civility. Y- yeah. Yeah, if anything, if this week has taught us anything, it's that c- civility in politics is deader than a doornail. It's deader than Antonin Scalia. Doesn't exist. <laughs> So, no, they're not going to wait until the midterms. There were people that were actually wondering, like, was it? it I saw a comment that said, like, well, if they wait until the midterms and Democrats get the Senate and they don't block this nominee, then the Democratic Party is dead. Excuse me. I can stop you at the first line of that sentence. They're not going to wait. Yesterday, Donald Trump in the Oval Office said, we're going to get started on this immediately. Like, he's not going to wait. He said... The words out of his mouth, we're going to get started immediately. We will begin our search for a new justice of the United States Supreme Court that will begin immediately. And hopefully we're going to pick somebody who will be as outstanding. Lest we forget, by the way, that... When Merrick Garland was nominated by Barack Obama, it was in an election year, in an election cycle. And so Democrats immediately jumped up to say, well, this is an election cycle. We should wait until after the election. Donna Brazile, actually, that last, that very last clip, she says that Republicans are going to have to come out and explain what's the difference between this election and the election, or, or this election and the election that was in play when Merrick Garland was nominated. I want Mitch McConnell and the Republicans to make a distinction between a presidential election and a midterm election, a midterm election that can decide the fate of the Congress uh, at a time when the president is under investigation. Okay, you want them to do that? Orrin Hatch yesterday spoke about this. This is not going to be hard for Republicans. This is not, I mean, these guys are shameless this is not going to be a hard fight for them. And Orrin Hatch has already started it. 
Well, because they're not in control now, and they're they're the minority. And frankly, uh, I think the American I think the American people uh, have been pretty happy with the choices by the Republicans. Shameless, 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 shameless. shameless. Okay, Peter, can we also just take a moment to go off on Democrats right now? Because look. It was a purely symbolic vote for Gorsuch, and three Democrats still supported him. Even when it's just a symbolic united front, the Democrats cannot rally. If there's anything that the Republicans get right, it's that they can rally. Yep, absolutely. I mean, look, Donald Trump is going—we already know he's got a list of Supreme Court justices that he put out. I'm assuming that that hasn't changed much, maybe with the addition of Judge Jeanine Pirro. Oh, my gosh. Oh, like, did you not think that that was a possibility, y'all? Oh did no, you... it definitely is. We just had Pema Levy in here talking about this. Yeah, did you, like did did y'all not think that Donald Trump could very well appoint Judge Andrew Napolitano, Judge Janine Pirro, Judge Judy? Take your pay. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. And by the way, that's just the ones that make me laugh. By their stupidity. There are others that are far that more nefarious. Fair. Right. But like those are like, come on. But then there are others that you don't know their names that are far more nefarious that we could end up with. Mike Lee, senator from Utah, buddies with Ted Cruz, is on the list. We could get a Mike Lee. So let's talk first of all about the Democrats, okay? First of all, when Barack Obama nominated Merrick Garland, there were ways to get Merrick Garland up on that court. And at the time, we respected Barack Obama for his norms and respecting of the norms of politics. And there should be due process for getting these things done. There's a very uh, respected way to get things done in the Senate is what we've been told over the years. Not anymore. If Democrats don't view this as a gloves-off, bare-knuckle, dirty cage match, we're going to get trampled. We are getting trampled. Republican, this is the full culmination of what Republicans have wanted for the last 40 years. You have a Republican president, you have a Republican Senate, you have a Republican House, and we are about to have a fully, fully strong Republican Supreme Court. Absolute power for the Republicans. And they wanted this for years. They wanted this for four decades. And they stopped at nothing to get it. They, you saw a lot of people, quote, unquote, sell out so that they could support Donald Trump. No, they cared more about the Republican Party and getting this power than Donald Trump. You saw... uh, Lots of people, lots of people, like Jeff Flake and John McCain, right? These guys that come out and they talk about how much, how, how bad Donald Trump is for the uh, Republican, all that. Fine. You guys think he's so bad? Change party affiliation. Now all of a sudden we've got two new Democratic senators. Then what? They're not going to do it. Because whoever Donald Trump picks to take that seat, Jeff Flake, 
John McCain, Lindsey Graham, Susan Collins, any of these other resistance Republicans that you hear these lies about, they're going to love him. And I made sure to say him because it's damn sure not going to be a woman. And the Donald Trump going to be white. Oh, count on it. Count on it. And the, 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 the scary thing is here, Democrats have no power to stop this. They have no power to stop this. I, I, I would love to know what they can do. I paid a lot of attention to, to cable news and read a lot about this. Yesterday. There's nothing they can do. They really can't do anything. The only option, honestly, is if McCain passes before this vote. And the Democrats are able to convince not one, but two Republicans. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen, guys. I'm sorry. I mean, that's a pipe dream. Right. Uh, it's nice to dream. And let's it's a pipe forget dream. that McConnell did. He did. He took the nuclear option. Uh, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like, there, like during Gorsuch's here, I, I mean, how quickly we forget, right? Yes. Like, this we, seems we like a lifetime ago, It really right? does. It really does. I had genuinely forgotten about this. Right. But Democrats tried to filibuster, tried to slow down the Gorsuch process, tried to stop him, and Mitch McConnell came out and said, <laughs> nuclear option, bitches. We'll just change the rules. We're just going to, we can't get it done by the rules? We'll change the we'll rules. We'll change them. And that's my point. Norms are gone. Playing polite is gone. Senatorial courtesy, gone. No more. No more. And here's the thing that's really scary. Democrats don't typically vote. It's not usually uh, a a huge motivating factor for them to get out to vote by saying, we got to get the Supreme Court. That's not something that, Democrat, that really appeals to the Democratic base. It appeals to a lot of them and people who are really paying attention. But for the most part, in the Democratic base, it's not something that motivates Democratic voters to come out. You know who it does motivate to come out? Republicans. Because they want to see Roe versus Wade get overturned. And you know what's going to happen? Roe versus Wade is going to get overturned. Oh, it's gone. It's as good as dead. It died yesterday. It's dead. It's dead, um, which means that women will go back to coat hangers yeah. in back alleys, and women will die, and guess who's not going to care? The GOP. Not even a little bit. Take your pick. Gay rights? Gone. Gone. Women's health care? Gone. gone. I mean- this is don't expect to have access to affordable, accessible, science-based, science medically proven birth control. Doesn't matter. It's gone. Doesn't matter. It's gone. Obamacare, gone. We opened up an unbelievable hellscape by not allowing and, and by Barack Obama not putting a Supreme Court justice on the Supreme Court, as he is constitutionally allowed to do. And this is not a success of Donald Trump. This is a success of Mitch McConnell and the GOP. They don't care that Donald Trump is making them look bad. They don't care that Donald Trump is uh, treats them horribly. They don't care that he doesn't even they don't even care that he doesn't know what he's talking about. They don't care. You know what they do care about? The fact that they're about to have a supermajority Supreme Court with hard right wingers. 
Look, you have people like Clarence Thomas still sitting on the, you know, most revered bench in all the land. And here he is, lest we forget about Anita Hill. Yeah. And he he is the one who gets to legislate about women's bodies. They don't it's care. sickening. They don't care. They don't care that he is uh, at, at the very best a sexual harasser. They don't care because you know what? He's going to vote the way that they want him to vote every single time. Every single time. And the thing that really sucks is Anthony Kennedy was not necessarily a Republican who would vote with them every single time. He would screw them up every now and then. Not anymore. They're not going to have to worry about that. Oops. That surprise where a justice that was appointed by a Republican votes with a Democratic point of view. That's not going to be an issue anymore. There are people who tried to make John Roberts out to be some sort of resistance type because he his vote did essentially save Obamacare, but not for the reason that you would like to think. Yep. So we're screwed, y'all. This fundamentally changes also not just the Supreme Court, but essentially every court beneath the Supreme Court as well. Because many times I was listening to a lot of um, constitutional scholars talk about this yesterday. They were saying that the arguments were crafted in such a way that it was dedicated to Kennedy, essentially. Mm. Like, And the way that um, cases were filtered up through the courts, it was with the intention of it coming before Kennedy. Yeah. And not anymore. Yeah. yeah. They don't have to worry about this anymore. Republicans have nothing to worry about. They are in the clear. They're going to get every vote that they want. There will be no surprises like Kennedy. Um, who knows where this ends? You've got the Mueller investigation going on. I would imagine at some point, knowing the way that Donald Trump and the Republicans operate, they will push this all the way to the, to the Supreme Court. And guess what? Oops. Oops. There are no, I mean, it sounds so hyperbolic, but it it seems as though there are no checks and balances at this point. No. Combine that with the fact yesterday that there was a new poll that said that re, that voters, not Republicans, voters, Republicans and Democrats, voters, they view Congress as a check on Donald Trump's. In other words, even Republicans that say this is our president, this is Donald Trump, we're behind him and that's and that's that, we support him. They would like for Congress to be a check on Donald Trump. <laughs> oh, sweetie. That's out the window. It's out the window. Uh, Mark, I just want to thank Mark for chiming in on Twitter. He goes, I know it's our new reality, but I couldn't continue to listen to all the doom and gloom to start my day. Hey, look, man, I wish I didn't have to talk about this S. But it was a doomy and gloomy day yesterday. And it's going to be a doomy and gloomy several generations until some of these old Republicans die off the Supreme Court. I'm going to read a couple of other comments. Joey says, blame ourselves, Democrats. This is how we used our power. Why didn't Obama and Biden shut down the country over this past Supreme Court nominee? You Dems think and talk and worry about how all your decisions may hurt us later. Screw that. Dems are soft. Every single word of it is true. Where's the lie? Time to play hardball. Time to play tough. I don't care who the next Democratic president is, whether that happens in 2020 or whether it happens when Donald Trump finally leaves office in 2060. 
after he allows himself to be president forever. Oh, no. He'll only leave the office when he dies at this rate. Yeah. Um, whoever the next Democratic president is, we've got power and we're going to use it. And we're not going to worry about stepping on the toes of Republicans. And we're not going to be we're not going to worry about making people angry because some of the norms weren't adhered to. We're going to do what we were elected to do. Paolo on Twitter says, I agree, Peter. Republicans know how to rally. This explains the tepid response when when uh, Trump does, quote unquote, crazy things. Yeah. Yes. Uh, another comment. Don't think for two seconds they're not going to take a crack at the Civil Rights Act before it's all said and done. Yeah, what the hell? Why not? Oh, yeah. Have uh, a ball. Wait, that was like Have a ball. assumed. I mean, look, there are things that we assume won't really... Like, uh, won't necessarily get touched because it's too controversial. It's too bad. You don't want to go down that path, really. You didn't. You didn't know time travel existed until yesterday. Just, just you. Wait. Just you wait. Just you wait and see what they can get away with. Now, We're about to go back to 1930 really fast. Now look. Here's what I will say. I will get away from some of the doom and gloom for a brief moment and just say the one thing that I think is going to be good in all of this. The one ray of sunshine here is that Republicans always, 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 always play, overplay their hand. Always. And there will be a correction, and whatever damage that they do and whatever they undo will eventually bite them in the ass, and voters will realize that they have gone too far. Now, will I be alive to see it? Maybe not. (laughs) Will my kids be allowed to see it? Hopefully. Hopefully. Gorsuch is a young guy. He'll be on the Supreme Court for 40 years, 30 years. I am sure that whoever they nominate to take Kennedy's seat will be a young enough person. He'll be there for many, many years. John Roberts, he's mid-50s. He'll be there for another 35 years. And I don't want to be too defeatist. But uh, we got a lot, we, we got a long way to go in Donald Trump's first term. Heaven forbid something happened to Ruth Bader Ginsburg or any of the other good justices that were appointed by Democrats. Heaven forbid something like that happened. So, I went through a range of emotions yesterday when this was going on. Like, there was so much that made me mad. My first thought immediately, and I hate to put it like this, thanks a lot, Robbie Mook. Thanks a lot for the horrible campaign that was run by the presidential candidate in 2016. Uh, Democrats should expect better. They're going to have to take the gloves off. I don't know that there's any way that they're going to be able to stop this, but I am not confident that Chuck Schumer is going to make this happen. I already saw Democrats yesterday. Our friend Ben Cardin, I saw a couple of other senators, Democratic senators said, oh, well, we're going to wait to see who the president appoints before we... No, the correct answer is absolutely not. 
they stole a Supreme Court pick from us. We're going to we're gonna stall this until we at least see what happens with the midterms. If the midterms happen and the Democrats lose the Senate, don't really have much of a leg to stand on. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. <clears throat> uh, we're going to try and find some good news. Let's find some good news. Let's take a break. Let's talk to senior political reporter for HuffPost, Kevin Robillard. He's got some good news about uh, primaries. Uh, for the Democrats and the sort of the future of the Democratic Party and what that's going to look like. Stay tuned, everybody. We're going to take a very quick break. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting here for Bill Press. We'll be right back. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. <laughs> it's The Bill Press Show. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I am clearly not Bill Press. I am Peter Ogburn. I'm sitting in for Bill today. Bill is on vacation. He'll be back next week. Uh, we, we, we were joking about this earlier, Ray. Like, every time Bill goes on vacation, the world completely falls apart. Bill, if you are listening, SOS, please return <laughs> immediately before something else terrible happens. Mayday, put, mayday. Put up the bill signal. <laughs> Somebody quick, put up the bill signal. Get him back. Oh, God. Well, uh, it, it, it's, it, I mean, look, I'm trying not to be, everybody's complaining that there's just too much doom and gloom. I'm going to try and be a little more positive. Uh, joining me in studio is managing editor at Share Blue, Kylie Joy Gray. How are you? I mean, you know, <laughs> relative, right? I, I, I've had to learn to stop saying that to people. Right. How's it going? How are you? Because it's just like. Mm. How the hell do you think I am? Yeah. All things told. Yeah. I mean, we live in hell. Uh, other than that, I'm great. I mean, it's nice weather outside. I guess there's that. Oh, but. Th- I appreciate your optimism. Uh, ShareBlue.com, ShareBlue.com. Tell us a little bit about ShareBlue really quickly because we've never had you on the show. Oh, well, you know, I'm happy to be here. ShareBlue Media is progressive media that exists to um, cover the elected officials and regular everyday Americans who are doing everything they can to fight back against the Trump administration and the Republican agenda that is trying to destroy truth, justice, and the American way. I love it. Let's check it out, shareblue.com. Uh, I would imagine you have some thoughts on the retiring of Justice Anthony Kennedy yesterday. Um, they are some very not family-friendly <laughs> thoughts. Those are my first thoughts. Yeah, same. Um, <laughs> same. What, let me ask you this, though, because I think ShareBlue is sort of a, a great site for uh, Democrats that want to fight back, Democrats that want to uh, uh, find things that they can accomplish in yes. the in the age of Trump. Uh, can Democrats are they going to be able to stop this next nominee? Well, it's not going to be easy. Yeah. But you know, here's the here's the thing that I hold on to. Um, you know, late at night, alone in my bed when I'm scared. Optimism. Here it comes. <laughs> Here comes your optimism. You know, on election night, the the worst night ever. When we all assumed that that that's it, that's the end of America as we know it, uh, that's the end of Obamacare. That'll be that'll be gone, you know, day one. Um, <laughs> but it's still here, and so are we. Yeah. And that fact alone gives me some comfort in the darkest of days in thinking that this Republican Party that is in control of everything now, everything, is so freaking incompetent. Yeah. And here they are. They they finally have their chance to destroy everything that normal people hold dear, and they can't get their acts together to do it. And so, <laughs> I think I hope that they 
will have a harder time accomplishing another goal that they have um, because they're just they're they're actually very bad at being villains. They're terrible, but they're not very good at it. That's my hope. That said, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, you know, there are more of them than there are of us in Congress, in the Senate, and the numbers are not in our favor right now. Um, I, I know that, you know, we're, we're looking at some of the senators who have said that protecting health care is very important to them, regardless of party. And if they believe that, and if that is true, and yes, Susan Collins, I'm talking to you. <laughs> Lisa Murkowski, what up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if they believe that it is important to protect health care and that it is especially important to protect basic fundamental health care rights for women, hey ladies, then they have, a, they have a golden opportunity here to do that and to make sure that this Supreme Court does not get turned into, you know, Operation Rescue. Okay, let me ask you this, because I, I, I promise I'm not trying to be all bleak all the time, but <laughs> what power do they have over the Supreme Court actually making that decision? Because the way I see it, because I'm sort of a pessimist <laughs> the way i see it like this could like they could it could go all the way to the supreme court supreme court let's just say overturns roe versus way the republicans go hey our, hey we didn't do this this was supreme court this is the law of the land we like obviously we disagree with this but blah, 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 blah. i could see that happening well you know they have an incredible power which is that they have a say in the next supreme court justice yeah and they can say yes or no mm -hmm. It's, it's just that simple. And Donald Trump made clear from the very beginning during his campaign that he had an agenda for who he would appoint to the Supreme Court. Yeah. And the number one thing he said was he wanted to appoint somebody who, you know, Mike Pence fantasizes about at night. And somebody who well, will... Well, no, I, that could go a lot of different directions, Kylie. I mean, <laughs> but you I'm, know what I'm saying. Yes, 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 but yes. So, you know, he said that somebody who would overturn basic fundamental rights for women was a priority for him and yeah. all of the judges he has put out there on his list you know his little wish list have been carefully vetted by the worst scumbags of america who have gotten two thumbs up for yes that that's our kind of scum yeah and <laughs> that's our scum <laughs> so put that on the bumper sticker. so we know what he's looking for yeah and that means if we know so do they and oh. those senators can say no actually we're not going to say yes to that kind of justice because that kind of justice is going to try to undo the things that the majority of Americans support, like health care, abortion rights, marriage equality, worker rights, environmental protections. Should I go on? <laughs> no, no, I know. That's enough, please. Uh, you know, it's, 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 somebody made a point on Twitter this morning about how uh, this type of show that we're doing today is probably making Republicans just so happy because this is the whole like liberal tears, right? Like the, the governing by triggering the libs. The snowflakes are <laughs> melting. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like it's it's like they, they just love this stuff. But God damn it, this is just this is just too important. Um, so let me let me switch gears a little bit because um, over the weekend, Sarah Huckabee Sanders went to try and go eat dinner at a nice farm-to-table restaurant. <clears throat> yes. Uh, and she was politely asked to leave after she was served a meal, uh, which um, she then took to Twitter and said, <laughs> Yeah, basically. Yeah. 
And so I've been sort of having this ongoing conversation this week about political civility. And I think it applies, by the way, to the situation that we're in with the Supreme Court, because I think that the reason that Barack Obama did not get his constitutionally allowed pick on the Supreme Court was because of political civility and norms. Is political civility dead? I mean, I don't know who these people are and what rock they've been living under. Yeah. Because I am old enough to remember, and I'm not that old, (laughs) the days before Donald Trump when there was plenty of incivility. Like, I don't know, a bunch of crazy white people running around this country saying the black president can't possibly be an American. I don't consider that civil. Fair. Um, I remember the days when George Bush was still president and his vice president said something really nasty on the floor of the Senate to another senator that, again, not family friendly. Not family friendly. Was that civil? An act that he asked Patrick Leahy to do in defiance of God's will. Right. Not something that you were able to do. But, yes, we know what you're talking about. So, I mean, the the idea that, you know, this was a lovely little country until the mean libs <laughs> came along and interrupted Sarah Huckabee Sanders from enjoying a meal that, frankly, she could afford to skip. Sure. Uh, sure. It's like, yeah, okay, sure, if you were born yesterday and don't remember anything at all. But the idea that somehow it is it is more uncivil to to protest a public official than it is to rip crying infants from their breastfeeding mothers um, is not a standard that I can understand, and it's not a standard that we should consider an American value. I, I agree with you. I, I think that civility has been dead uh, uh, with the Republicans for a long, long time. But I do think that uh, Barack Obama and part of his message, right, of trying to be the bigger man, trying to rise above... Be a grown-up. Be a grown-up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Act like a decent human being. Yeah. But, like, his adherence to the norms, uh, I think, uh, really kind of, I, I should say this, adherence <laughs> to the norms in the face of an opposition that just threw the norms out the window. So it's sort of like you're playing against the stacked deck. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing that's amazing, you know, now there's this whole effort, right, to trigger the lips. But you have never seen a more triggered group of people than when we elected a black president. Oh, my God. And they lost their freaking minds. And, you know, they invented the Tea Party, which is just a group of really angry Republicans. And uh, white Republicans, but yes. Yes. I mean, <laughs> yes. The, the Tea Party, it turned out, was more Republican than your average Republican. Yeah. Um, and and they, they just, they were so triggered, these precious little snowflakes, that there was a black man and his lovely wife, with really nice arms and his adorable, sweet children who didn't actually travel around the world and cause international embarrassments like, hey, Bush girls. And, you know, they they were so triggered by this and so upset that they just wanted to burn it all down. And they made that very clear. You know, Mitch McConnell would say our entire the entire point of being in the Senate right now is to stop Barack Obama. No, dude, that's not actually your job. Check the Constitution. Yeah. And, and, you have a job description. It's pretty clear. Every Republican who ran against Obama in 2012 and lost mm-hmm. said their, the whole point for them wasn't about America or the American people. It was about trying to stick it to Barack Obama and humiliate that uppity black president. 
and you know it failed but they've been so bitter and so upset about it and and barack obama bless his heart wanted to believe that somewhere somewhere out there is a better america and that was his biggest mistake because it turns out there isn't okay that, that um, you took it exactly where i wanted to go so now that we've seen who they truly are uh i'm trying to figure out a, a more delicate way of asking is america worth saving but <laughs> but, but my how much time you got <laughs> but my point is have we have democrats gotten the message have they moved on from that message of civility that barack obama tried to tried to preach uh have democrats sort of said like okay gloves are off you want to fight we'll bring an actual fight to you we'll bring a cage match to you you know i I think in a way, yes. And and the reason I say that is because if you think back to the, the olden days when George W. Bush was appointed to the presidency by his dad's friends on the Supreme Court, Democrats tried to be the adults. And yeah. they, they tried to say, okay, that was so effed up, but this is America. Mm -hmm. We must come together. We must move forward. We have a president. We don't like the guy, but we're going to try to do our jobs and work with him. And... They were also cowed after 9-11 into mm -hmm. doing whatever Republicans said. And, you know, Democrats out there in America were like, what happened to our party? Yeah. Who, who represents us? The difference this time around when another illegitimate president assumed the White House, thanks Putin and other people. Um, <laughs> Take your pick. Is that Democrats didn't, didn't say, well, you know, what's done is done. Let's be the adults here. They yeah. said, you know what? Screw that. Yeah. Screw that. Screw this guy. Screw this party. Screw everything. You're not getting your wish list, pal. And that is a huge difference to me yeah. that gives me some hope that the difference between Democrats of, say, 2002 and Democrats of, you know, 2018 is that they understand that, you know what, you can't work with these people. Yeah. They're nihilists. I, I, I want to, uh, yesterday was a, uh, roller coaster of emotions to say the least <laughs> uh because when we did the show yesterday there's obviously always bad news to talk about but there was some encouraging news when we talk about uh alexandria ocasio cortez uh who beat joe crowley in new york and she spoke yesterday uh about some very strong progressive ideologies we have some uh, a couple of clips from her first of all she was asked uh if you do get elected and all signs seem to point to she will be elected she sure. will become a member of congress uh, will you impeach Donald Trump? We are at that point. You know, it's unfortunate, but I believe that we are at that point. And he should be impeached. Yes. Yes. And she also talked about a new sort of rallying cry for progressive Democrats. We need to abolish ICE. We can find a way for people to safely enter this country and be documented and not have to experience the, the continued injustice of, of the separation of families at our border. So compare that to some of the Democratic senators yesterday who were like, well, we're just going to have to wait and see who the president appoints to the Supreme Court before we decide. No. The answer is no. We're going to stop you at everything. Well, so, you know, yes, some some Democrats are trying to, you know, again, be the adults and and. <laughs> Shame on them. Shame on them, right? How overrated is that? We're thinking that, again, the Constitution actually says what their job description is, and their job description, according to the Constitution, is to govern this country. Yeah. 
Um, but, you know, I've been heartened <laughs> to see some Democrats, hey, including the minority leader, Chuck Schumer, say, yeah. hey, guys, remember in 2016 when Mitch McConnell invented a rule out of thin air, the McConnell rule, that says you can't appoint a Supreme Court justice in an election year? Guess what the year is, dude? Yeah. It's an election year. And hey, if you need to wait until the voters speak in November before you can take any action, voters have a lot to say this November. And I'm pretty sure that what voters have to say is not going to be very friendly to the Republicans. Yeah. So, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the GOP. And <laughs> I think that those Democrats, Schumer, you know, the most important one, he's the leader, right? Yeah. Um, saying, you know what? Screw you. We're, we're not we're, we're going to take your rule. We're going to shove it right back down your throats and we'll just see what happens when we take the Senate back from you guys. Um, that's encouraging. I, I encourage that tactic. I am excited about that tactic. I think that, you know, I, I don't know if it can work, but I think Democrats need to employ every tactic they have. So there's there's no justice here who, who would be acceptable. Um, because of that, because you can't appoint a justice this year. Sorry, that's the new rule you guys came up with. Yeah. And anybody who Trump puts forward is going to be some far right wingnut radical nut job who wants to tear up the Constitution. And on those grounds, th th that's also unacceptable. And that's where you would hope to see certain Republican senators that we know out are out there and say they care about certain issues would say that's not acceptable to me. Um, I want to play this clip from Orrin Hatch because there was a lot of hand-wringing from Democrats about the whole McConnell rule, right? This election year, election year, and, and uh, somebody came out and was just like, oh, I'd like to see them, how they're going to defend this. Uh, pretty easily, actually. Here's <laughs> Orrin Hatch. Well, because they're not in control now, and they're, they're the minority, and frankly, uh, uh, I, think the American, I think the American people... Uh, have been pretty happy with the choices by the Republicans. So pretty shamelessly is how they're going to get out of it. Yeah, I mean, the, it's an amazing thing for him to say, right? Because he, he's basically like, hey, screw you. Yeah. And also, we're just going to pretend that the American people like what we're doing. Yeah. Which they don't. They don't. I mean, the American people are so freaking pissed off that the American people have been showing up in these incredibly red districts across America that Republicans won by 10, 20, 30, 40 points in past elections that went for Trump by double digits and throwing the bums out of office in special elections in districts that were so Republican, Democrats wouldn't even run there. Yeah. So please tell me about how the, the American people are like, yes, Orrin Hatch, we got you. We love what you're doing to us. But you know what, though? They could get away with it. They might. Um, they I very appreciate well your optimism. I appreciate your <laughs> but, optimism. But, you know, here's our option. Talk me down, okay. please. Okay. Here's the th here are our, our options realistically. Okay. We can say, holy crap, we're screwed. Might as well just go back to bed. That's me. Well, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Or we can say, holy crap, we're probably screwed. But, you know, we should still do whatever yeah. we can think of to stop it. Yeah. Because it might not work, but giving up. I don't see that as an option. Yeah. And, you know, throughout history, you have incredible stories of small groups of people overcoming, I don't know, Goliath. Um, <laughs> so so it can be done. It is possible. It's not impossible. It's just really hard. It's even unlikely. But we don't have any choice. We can't just give up and go back to bed. No, you're right. I mean, you're, you, you are right. And, and look, 
crazier things have happened. We ended up with Donald Trump as president. No one saw that. Not many people saw that coming. So, like, oh, boy. I just. um, (sighs) I can't think of a third alternative. And that's the issue for me is that I feel like I have to still get up every single day and do whatever tiny, small thing I can do in my corner of the Internet, in my little part of the world to say no because at least at least we have to put it on the history books that there were people in this country who said no yeah 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 and yeah. you know when they look back on whatever happened to that nice country america we 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 need people to know that there were those of us who said no we voted against this this um terrible rotten sorry skin sack excuse <laughs> for a human being and you yeah. know more of us voted against him than for him and we took to the streets and we rallied like hell and we threw out his accomplices and we did everything that we could to stop it. We didn't succeed in every case, but we tried. That's what we have to keep doing. Um, I think that's probably the best message that we could hear right now. <laughs> uh, I, I want to switch gears because I, I want to get this story in. Um, the White House has been looking for a new communications director, and it looks as though they might have found him. Uh, it's a name you probably recognize. His name is Bill Shine. Do you probably you guys remember that name? Bill Shine used to be at Fox News, had a very, very strong hand in forming the way that Fox News spoke to conservatives. He also helped cover up multiple sexual harassment slash sexual assault allegations at Fox News uh, before he left in disgrace. But he's going to get a second shot at the highest office in the land uh, in the White House. He's going to be communications director. Talk about political civility. They just don't care. This guy is a snake of the highest order. I I mean, when you're going to Fox to hire people to, you know, do your messaging for you, you're you're just saying we want – the worst kind of people who are unapologetic liars, who just yeah. make stuff up. Constantly. All the time. And um, that's who you want to be in charge of your messaging. So, I mean, it's it's not surprising. Of course Trump wants Fox News to be running his messaging. I mean, of course he does. Yeah. I'm amazed that he hasn't hired one of, you know, the little Fox blonde girls to replace Sarah Huckabee Sanders yet. I feel like that's probably coming. We'll see that happen. There's there's time for that. So, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, of course he wants to bring in Fox. Yeah. Water is wet. Right. Right. But, you know, the, the funny thing to me is that Donald Trump is is so bad at people that even when he has somebody he thinks he likes, remember when he loved John Kelly and would call him my general? (laughs) Um, Like, he can bring in whoever he wants, give him a few months, and he'll hate that guy too. So it's kind of like, okay, Bill Shine, you go ahead and you head in there and you think you're going to be the guy who can control the things that come out of Donald Trump's mouth. Good luck with that, buddy. It's unwinnable. It's unwinnable. He's, He's going to find himself. I mean, look, working with talent is one thing. Don't I know it? <laughs> working with talent is one thing, but working with a guy like Donald Trump is yeah. co- something completely different. And I think the scariest thing that I read was, you know, the first year of the Trump administration was admit like kind of a mess. They didn't get a ton of stuff done. <laughs> it was pretty disorganized. And a lot of that was due to the fact that Donald Trump didn't necessarily know what he was doing and he was a little intimidated by the job. That's all gone now. 
True, but you know, he, he still doesn't know what he's doing. He just doesn't care, he doesn't care what anymore. people say to right, him. Right. And here's the amazing thing, you know, Bill Shine comes from Fox News. Fox News is an incredibly disciplined organization. They put their talking points out to the entire team every day, and those are the exact talking points that come out of every single mouth all day long. Say say what you will about Fox News, they are tight as a drum. Absolutely. They know what they're doing. That's not going to be the case with Donald Trump, <laughs> because as we know from every single person who's worked with him at the White House, including his favorite generals, you know, four-star Marine generals cannot control this man, cannot, they, they can write notes to him in all caps that say, do not congratulate <laughs> you remember that? Putin. Ah! And Trump is like, congratulate Putin, got it. So, you know, they can't control him from tweeting things where it's like, there's Robert Mueller, like, cool, there's another obstruction of justice issue to look into because he tweeted something stupid. (sighs) So, you know, yeah, sure, Bill Shine, you're going to go in there and you're going to be the one who can implement that Fox discipline of messaging of Donald Trump. And six months from now, we can be sitting here talking about, hey, remember Remember when they were excited about Bill Shine and now he's on his way out too. Managing editor at shareblue.com, Kylie Joy Gray. Follow her on Twitter at Kylie Joy K. A-I-L-I. Joy, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show. Hi, everybody. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. Uh, how great was she? Kylie Joy Gray from ShareBlue, ShareBlue.com. Uh, make sure you check them out. There's lots of great stuff up on ShareBlue.com. Uh, all about the Supreme Court and where the country goes now. Uh, great writing there. Um, I, I have you watched any of this World Cup stuff? I talked to the last hour about the the South Korea versus Germany. David Chang, uh, the chef, mm-hmm. who has a great series on Netflix called Ugly Delicious, and and is just an all around very interesting human being. He put up a great uh, thing on Instagram yesterday, side by side, a picture of kimchi. And a picture of sauerkraut. <laughs> and it just goes, kimchi beats sauerkraut every time. Which is absolutely Which is correct. Accurate. C- yeah. c- completely accurate. Yeah. Both are delicious, don't get me wrong. I love a good sauerkraut, but fuck. I mean, come <laughs> on. What are you talking about? Like, that's a no brainer. Uh, South Korea beating Germany yesterday, defending champions. Germany are out the door, they are no longer. Uh, so thank you for tuning into the show. Uh, my name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for today. 
Later on, we're going to talk a little bit about sort of the direction that the Democratic Party is going in when we talk about primaries uh, and what the primaries looked like this week. Also, we've got more news on the Supreme Court with Zoe Tillman from BuzzFeed News. I talked about this a little bit. You know, I was at the gym yesterday, and I go to one of these gyms that they have a policy. They don't have cable news on the TVs. I mean, it, you know, the, you know, you go to the gym. The TVs everywhere, right? That is such a lovely rule that I think all gyms should implement. Like, if you get on the treadmill or one of the machines that you got a personal TV, like sure, you, you can, can watch put it, there. it on whatever you want. But they've got these banks of TVs all around the gym. None of them are on cable news, but they do have it on like CNBC and and Bloomberg and stuff. Sure. So I saw the Anthony Kennedy news break while I was at the gym. So I was like ecstatic to see South Korea beating Germany on one TV and horrified by the Kennedy news on the other TV. It was just like, it made for an interesting workout situation. It made for quite an interesting workout situation. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, like, the good news with the South Korea win is that now Mexico goes through, and Travis Waldron, our buddy, has sort of said, like, America's not in the World Cup. You want a team to root for? Root for Mexico. Yeah. Still part of... The continent. Yeah, right. And, and like still in it. Still still has a shot here. And so, like, uh, there are more fans of Mexico here in America than, like, anywhere else next to Mexico. So, mm-hmm. like, yes, we should be rooting for Mexico. But I was hardcore rooting for South Korea yesterday. Yeah. I don't have a team, but I'll adopt the Mexico team as my team. Same. Yeah. Same. I watch women's soccer. I'm way mm-hmm. more up to speed on women's soccer than men's soccer. I just don't pay attention. But by the way, last week we had Alan Pike on the show from Think Progress. We asked him to come in during a big match, Costa Rica versus Brazil. We asked him to come in for the eight o'clock hour, and he was like, "Oh no, dog, I can't do it. It's it's the Costa Rica Brazil match." So we took Fox News off of one of our TVs. Greatest on, decision ever. I'm not changing it back. I think all of our like anxiety, morning anxiety, has been lessened to a degree that we didn't even know was possible. It's so nice. It's so nice. Like just imagine, we haven't had to watch Fox News talk about Sarah Huckabee Sanders getting kicked out of a restaurant. We haven't had to talk about Anthony Kennedy retiring. We haven't had to. We haven't had to watch Fox News talk about any of that. We just get to watch sports and like early soccer games. So like it's it's not so bad. All right, we're gonna jump right into the show here in just a minute. Our buddy Kevin Robiard is in studio. We're gonna take a look at some of the primaries this week. Uh, are Democrats going to actually start running to the left? That is a big question I have after uh, one notable win, anyway, uh, in New York. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Stay tuned to The Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn. I will be right back. On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. It is the Bill Press Show. Hi, everybody. My name is Peter Ogburn sitting in for Bill Press today. Bill's on vacation this week, so uh, you've got me today. Uh, And I just want to remind you, this is very, 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 very important. You know, we do two hours of the show live every morning. Uh, We take very few commercial breaks, but we do have 
during the show, uh, a little extra content that we do before most of you get to hear it. If you listen to us on the radio at WCPT in Chicago or in Asheville or any of the other stations that you listen, uh, you don't get the entire show. You don't get the entire show. If you want to get the entire show, just go look for the Bill Press Show in iTunes. We put up our podcast every day. It goes up within like an hour after the show ends, so like around 10 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, so if you're on the West Coast, you can't wake up early, get it right then and there. Still early where you are, so you get to hear what we've been talking about. Uh, and it's really, really great way to support the show. Just subscribe. That way you get uh, all the content that we have. And we also, if you're subscribed to the podcast, we do special weekend programming on a number of different issues, uh, including we talk about movies, we talk about food, we talk about booze, we talk about some politics. In fact, we gotta, we're going to be taping an interview today that's going to come out this weekend with a Democratic politician who was just elected to the Maryland House of Delegates who used to be an intern on the Bill Press Show. So we're going to talk to her. Uh, and that you can only get if you're subscribed to the podcast. That's going to come out this Saturday. Uh, we're going to have lots of fun stuff to talk about there. Uh, so make sure you're doing that. Okay. Now that we've got the business of the show out of the way, let's jump right into the news. Senior political reporter for HuffPost, Kevin Robillard, joins us in studio. I think it's your first time here since you joined HuffPost. Yes. yes uh, right. So it's nice to have you, man. Thanks for coming in. You can follow him on Twitter at Robillard. It's Robillard with two L's. Just yes. put that out there. Mm. Uh, okay. Big primary week this week. Yes. You wrote a piece about how Tuesday was a big, big day for... Mm -hmm. Progressives. Progressives. Yeah, yes. some of our some very familiar names out there. Let's let's start with the biggest one of all. Mm -hmm. I think we go to New York. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. She beat Joe Crowley. Uh, covers Bronx and Queens, New mm -hmm. York. Uh, first of all, Joe Crowley was gonna be the next Speaker of the House, probably. Yeah, that was, <laughs> or at least the Democratic leader. Yeah, that was definitely the consensus. Yeah. Um, you know, I still think there was there was some talk after this that somehow this makes Nancy Pelosi less in trouble. I don't quite buy that. There's still a lot of people who have promised not to vote for her. Yeah. It just means that it's less clear who would succeed her. Yeah. Uh, Nancy Pelosi's still in a lot of trouble. Um, but yeah, Crowley was a unique figure in a bunch of ways in that not only was he sort of a high-ranking uh, Democrat in Washington, he was also very much like a party boss back in Queens. He was one right. of the few uh, politicians who managed to do both. Uh, that's something where a lot of other politicians have tried to do that. Uh, Steny Hoyer, the House Minority Whip, uh, someone once told me Steny Hoyer didn't really start advancing in Congress until he stopped caring about who got every liquor license in Prince George's County. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. the, and you look at someone like Bob Brady, who's retiring this year. He's an old-fashioned party boss in Philadelphia and was never really got a lot of influence in Congress. Crowley was someone who was able to do both. He was considered very talented, a very skilled tactician, someone who built up a lot of chits with colleagues. But ultimately, he just got too far away from his district. Um, you know, the headline of Ocasio-Cortez's win is often about ideology. She is more liberal than Crowley. But this was also about sort of age and race. Um, Ocasio-Cortez was presenting a generational challenge to Crowley. We need, a new, we need new types of leaders. And also, look, Crowley was a middle-aged white dude representing a district that is both very young, only 12% of the population is over the age of 65, which makes it one of the younger congressional districts in the country, and, you know, at this point, nearly majority Latino. Yeah. It was going to be tough for him to hold on to this district. It's similar 
white politicians are in similar districts uh, are also fading away. Uh, there were a number who represented districts in Texas who are retiring this year. Uh, so really what we're seeing is there's multiple factors going into this, not just necessarily Ocasio-Cortez's ideology. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I think that like that is going to be something that Democrats are going to have mm -hmm. to reckon with, mm -hmm. uh, specifically in the primary. But yeah. I think it's going to become an even bigger issue in like general elections yes. in the future. But for right now, mm -hmm. it's going to have to be something that Democrats are going to have to be concerned with. And it's so funny because... You know, after the uh, uh, general election, the national election in 2016, Democrats immediately started having this back and forth about identity mm -hmm. politics, right? Mm -hmm. um, one of the many conversations that progressives yeah. had to have with, like, where they were as a party. But identity politics, politics was a big, big part of it. Mm -hmm. And I think you can sort of look at this one race. Mm -hmm. uh, and my question to you is... Does this one race, is mm -hmm. this uh, emblematic of the entire party? Is this going to be something the Democrats are going to have to reckon with? Or is this just sort of like, this fits the district? So uh, the other piece I wrote yesterday was called, No, the Democratic Tea Party Isn't Here Yet. Okay. Uh, I stand by that piece in that, <laughs> look, Ocasio-Cortez's campaign could be the start of something. Uh, mm. When you, the obvious comparison a lot of people made was to, when Dave Bratt defeated Eric Cantor. Yes, I saw a lot of that. That was a, a very obvious sort of Democrat to Republican comparison. The difference here is that Dave Bratt losing or defeating Eric Cantor was very much almost at the end of the Tea Party movement. The Tea Party had made waves in 2010 and 2012 yeah. and 2014. Uh, Dave Bratt in some ways sort of represents a bridge between the Tea Party and sort of the rise of Donald Trump uh, in some ways. This, if anything, is happening at the start of this movement. So yeah. it's hard to tell if it's going to spread. I think a very good early indicator of whether it will will be Cynthia Nixon's challenge to Andrew Cuomo. Yeah. Cynthia Nixon does not have necessarily the same ability to wage sort of generational and identity politics wars against Cuomo. She has some ability. I mean, she's a woman. Cuomo's a dude. Uh, she's lesbian. Cuomo is obviously a straight white man. Yeah. Um, but whether or not that ideology differences and those sort of identity politics differences matter in upstate New York, matter in other parts of New York City, are really much up in the air. I think that could be an early indicator. But so far, for the most part, up until really Tuesday night, the Democratic establishment was more or less dominating the primaries. Of yeah. That, I actually really wanted to ask you about that because so much has been made has been mm -hmm. made about the the dying off the democratic establishment yeah. right and i think joe crowley i think pretty well embodies the democratic yes. establishment yeah. uh, <laughs> and he went down hard mm -hmm. um so how does the democratic establishment recover how do they keep moving forward do they mm -hmm. realize oh crap our days are numbered mm -hmm. how do they sort of react to this win I think it sort of depends on what happens next. Yeah. Uh, there, If this really was more about Crowley just being out of touch with his district in a number of ways, they don't really need to do much adjusting. If this does represent sort of a new ideological vanguard within the Democratic Party, yeah. then they do need to do some adjusting. And that adjusting will mostly just be moving to the moving to the left. I mean, that's what ultimately a lot of the Republican solution to dealing with the Tea Party was, was to move to the right. The D Republicans also did a bunch of other things where they just started taking all their primary challengers much more seriously. Uh, in the early days, sort of in 2010, they would often try to, like, ignore primary challengers and hope they go away. By the time you got to 2014, they were 
you know, the second a primary challenger entered a race, Republicans were attacking them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think you're going to see the Democrats start to sort of struggle with some of those ideal, big ideological questions and then smaller tactical questions. You know, yeah, yeah. I think Crowley probably ignored um, his challenger for too long. Seems that way. Yeah. I think a lot of people ignored her for too long. Yeah. yeah. Um, by the way, I want to I want to break a little bit from what we were talking about. There is a little bit of breaking news. I just want to get in here really quickly. Uh, Donald Trump will meet Vladimir Putin next month in Finland. That is the word from the White House. Sarah Huckabee Sanders put out a statement this morning saying, quote, President Donald J. Trump and President Vladimir Putin of the Russian Federation will meet on July 16th 2018 in Helsinki, Finland. That is all we have as of now. Uh, one one final note on the uh, uh, statement that she put out, quote, the two leaders will discuss relations between the United States and Russia and a range of national security issues, end quote. This is not a huge surprise. We no. sort of saw this coming. Um, what I thought was humorous were all the people saying, like, oh, Donald Trump is finally going to get to speak to Putin about the meddling in our elections. No, he's not. That's just not going to happen. Donald Trump does not care. <laughs> no, he doesn't care at all. He doesn't care at all. That's This is not going to come up. Um, but they are going to meet face-to-face, and we will see what happens. But that is the breaking news as of now. Okay, uh, Kevin Robillard, our guest from HuffPost. Uh, I, I, I want to talk about some other races besides mm-hmm. just uh, uh, the big one there in New York with Joe Crowley going down. Uh, in Maryland. Yeah. Uh, I'm a Maryland voter, full disclosure. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben, ben Jealous mm-hmm. won his primary, the Democratic primary. He's the former head of the NAACP, sat right in that chair yep. where you're sitting. He's been on the show many, many times. Um, he won the Democratic primary. He will go on to face a very, very popular governor, mm-hmm. Larry Hogan, in mm-hmm. Maryland. Uh, tell us a little bit about Ben Jealous and his politics. Obviously, he comes from the Mm-hmm. But he is, again, a very progressive candidate. Yeah. Jealous is arguably maybe ran on the most progressive platform of any governor in the country this year, or any gubernatorial candidate, rather. Uh, he supports uh, Medicare for All, a state-level version of it. Um, he supports um, taxing, uh, legalizing and taxing marijuana and using that to pay for two free years of community college at, at Maryland uh, public universities, which is an idea that almost sounds like a parody of a liberal idea, <laughs> something that conservatives would have made up. Right, right, um, right, right. yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to use legalized weed to pay for free college. Um, he's a very progressive guy, talks a lot about criminal justice reform. He is a former organizer and very much comes out of and talks like someone from the grassroots. He talks a lot about the grassroots, although he also, I would note, you know, was a guy who also had a massive super PAC backing him and yeah. was able to get the endorsement of very powerful unions. Yeah. So he's really a combination of he has some establishment elements in him. You know, you don't get to be the former head of the NAACP by being a total insurgent. Sure. But he's very much out of the progressive school. And in this race, he was very much the progressive candidate. It was really interesting. This was a trend we saw in a lot of gubernatorial races this cycle, uh, starting all the way back with the Virginia race last year. Mm. Um, Jealous had the backing of a lot of national, really prominent national Democrats. Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker. Um, we also saw that in Georgia, where Stacey Abrams had the backing of groups like that. Yeah. Whereas the state-level political establishments, which tend to be a little more skittish than the national ones, very much rallied behind sort of one of their own. Uh, in the, the case of Maryland, it was this uh, Prince George's County Executive, Rashern Baker, 
uh, who had the backing of Martin O'Malley. He had the backing of Steny Hoyer. He had the backing of the state Senate president. Sounds a lot like uh, <clears throat> establishment Democrats yes. got on board with his opponent. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so it's jealous is really ended up beating uh, Baker pretty soundly. This was a, I believe at the end, about a six or seven candidate race. Uh, Jealous ended yeah. up winning by 10 percentage points, which is a pretty big win and surprised some people. A lot of people thought this race was going to be really close, decided by a few points. So big win for Jealous, big win for progressives. Uh, full, full disclosure, I mentioned I'm a Maryland voter. I voted for Ben Jealous uh, because... I think that this is one of the races that Dem- like far left Democrats want to see. They mm-hmm. want to see on a state level a Democrat go completely. I hate to keep using the analogy of like running like a Bernie Sanders, but yeah. like adopting that sort of democratic socialist mm-hmm. agenda mm-hmm. and really putting it to the test. And boy, is it going to be a test. Larry Hogan, yeah, is. M- Maybe the most popular governor in America. It's a tie between him and Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker. Okay, loosely. So like yeah. he is a very, very, very yes popular uh, governor, a Republican in a mm-hmm. normally blue state of Maryland. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hogan has sort of very carefully threaded the needle of yes. how to be a Republican in these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's definitely an uphill battle for a guy like Ben Jealous. Yeah, it's and so the one thing that people always need to remember, I feel like people often forget about this with when it comes to gubernatorial races. It is much, much harder to beat an incumbent governor than it yeah. is to beat an incumbent senator. Yeah. It is much, much harder. Uh, I believe this decade only two or three incumbent governors have lost the general election. Wow. It just does not happen wow. very often. Most of the time, if you're going to flip a gubernatorial seat, you do it when the election's open, uh, not when someone's running for re-election. Add on top of that that Hogan has an approval rating near 70%. So, <laughs> you know, this is a really Good tough— grief. The flip side of that is that Democrats outnumber Republicans 2 to 1 in Maryland. And Democrats have a recent history of knocking off a popular Republican governor. Back in 2006— then Baltimore Mayor Martin O'Malley, yeah. uh, now a presidential candidate or a former presidential candidate. No, no, I think uh, he still is. Yeah, still is. Yeah. Uh, not officially, but yes. Right, right. Um, defeated Bob Ehrlich, who, yeah. had the, who sort of in the weeks leading up to Election Day had an approval rating over 50%. Defeating Hogan will probably be tougher yeah. for two reasons. One, Hogan's just a little bit more popular than Ehrlich was. The second reason, O'Malley was able to make a lot of headway by linking Ehrlich to George W. Bush, yeah. who Ehrlich had really supported. Yeah. Hogan has fairly consistently been a never-Trumper. Yeah. There, He didn't vote for Trump. He very loudly denounces Trump at times. Um, he didn't support Trump's, for example, plan to repeal Obamacare. Yeah. At the same time, there are a few places where Jealous can sort of point and say, look, Larry, you didn't stand up to Donald Trump the way I would. Right. And he really has to make the most out of those opportunities to get this done. And he has to hope that, you know, like progressives always say, having a bolder agenda ends up firing up more Democratic voters, a lot of whom did not show up in 2014 when Larry Hogan won. That That's what I would like to see is like, look, yeah, Larry Hogan, I, look, I'm, I'm a, I, I vote democratically in the state of Maryland, right? Mm-hmm. I don't hate Larry Hogan. Mm-hmm. I think he's done a fairly decent job. Mm-hmm. But I also think that like Democrats can say like, well, we're not going to just accept the fact that he's done a decent job. Mm-hmm. We would like to see an actual far left progressive Democrat hold that office and see what then see what we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so look, if he can make that case, 
Who knows? We will see. I am. It is sort of funny because I knew that about Larry Hogan. He's not a he's not a Trump supporter. Mm-hmm. He's threaded that needle very very carefully. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because I haven't heard Donald Trump bash him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like he hasn't really picked a fight with Larry Hogan. It's interesting. It's almost because Larry Hogan. Larry Hogan doesn't quite denounce Donald Trump forcefully enough to get on CNN. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Thus, um, Donald Trump has no idea who he is. And I mean, Hogan for the most part doesn't necessarily bash Trump personally. Yeah. He just says, "I don't disagree. I don't agree with this guy. I don't think you know. I didn't vote for him to be president." Yeah. Um, it's sort of the same tack you'll see uh, Charlie Baker use in Massachusetts. Um, I want to pick up. You referenced the, uh, your your piece at HuffPost, HuffPost.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Democratic Tea Party isn't here yet. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Ray, we played these clips earlier from uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, she was asked, um, "Would you vote for impeachment for mm-hmm. Donald Trump?" We are at that point. You know, it's unfortunate, but I believe that we are at that point. And he should be impeached. Yes. And she was also asked about a, a one of my favorite uh, talking points for Democrats, abolish ICE. Will mm-hmm. you abolish ICE? And she just she knocked it out of the park. We can find a way for people to safely enter this country and be documented and not have to experience the, the continued injustice of, of the separation of families at our border. So to your point in your piece, uh, the Democratic Tea Party isn't here yet. Uh, this is a conversation that Bill has often when he yeah. isn't here. Uh, should Democrats be running on a platform of we're going to impeach the president? Mm-hmm. Is that a winning platform mm-hmm. for Democrats around the country? What do you think? My instinct is no. <laughs> I think most of the Democrats running, and I think this is both progressives and sort of establishment Democrats agree on this. Sure, yeah. It's not what you lead with. Right, right, right. If you get asked, um, I think many of the progressives will say, yes, it's time to impeach Donald Trump. Uh, Last week I was talking to Jackie Rosen, who's the sort of establishment Democratic Senate candidate uh, to take on Dean Heller in Nevada. Wacky Jackie. Wacky Jackie, as Donald Trump called her. her. Her basic response is, let me see what Robert Mueller finds. Yeah. Um, I think that's what you're going to hear from a lot of establishment Democrats. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how red state Democrats end up dealing with that question. You haven't necessarily seen a Joe Donnelly in Indiana or a Joe Manchin in West Virginia have to answer that. Actually, I can tell you Joe Manchin's just going to say no. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's it'll be interesting bet. to see how Donnelly and Claire McCaskill um, sort of try to navigate those waters. Uh, so I don't think it's what they should lead with. I think it makes – it makes it sound like you're playing politics. This yeah. is one thing, um, and I think Republicans honestly did a better job of this in 2016 than Democrats did. Republicans, even the ones who are distancing themselves from Trump, I'm thinking about people like Pat Toomey, about people like Rob Portman, they were very careful to not sort of bring up Trump on their own. Yep. Because anytime you bring <laughs> yep. up Trump to voters, it kind of just sounds like you're playing politics. Mm-hmm. You sound like a politician, which isn't what voters want. Voters care about how you're going to make their lives better. And if you can lead with that, some some voters, some reporter will probably ask you, you know, what do you think of this character in the White House? <laughs> and you'll have to answer. Yeah. But it's not it shouldn't be what you lead with. And I think, you know, some Democrats now say it was a mistake sort of to focus so much on Donald Trump's personality in 2016. Uh, you know, it's I, I've said this many times on the show. I think the blueprint for how Democrats should run, mm-hmm. I think more people should look at how Danica Rome won in mm-hmm. Virginia. Uh, uh, her opponent wanted to make it all about the fact that she is transgendered. Yeah. And she was like, 
I just want to fix the roads. Yeah. Our roads yeah. are a mess. I just want to fix the roads. Elect mm-hmm. me, I'll get these roads fixed. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Your personal story is obviously part of who you are, but that's not what you're running on. Yeah. You, she wasn't out there saying, you know, we've got to find ways to impeach Donald Trump or anything like that. Not that she has the power to do that, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Issues, 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 issues. But mm-hmm. if it comes up. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I want to impeach it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what you're going to see. Um, I think Republicans have had some limited success in trying to get, trying to sort of make impeachment the focus of the election. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's very interesting in some ways. Donald Trump Jr. yesterday was like, the Democrats are the party of impeachment. And I was like, do you really want to bring that up? That like, <laughs> right. your dad could get impeached? <laughs> right, right. And it's it's very strange, but but they do. Yeah. Um, you know, if you talk to Cory Bliss, who's the head of Congressional Leadership Fund, a very smart Republican political operative who runs sort of the Republican super PAC for the House, yeah. he will tell you, like, oh, the Democrats are running on impeachment. That's not really true, but it's what he wants the election to be about. Because that's a ground they're very comfortable fighting on because it just makes the Democrats sound like, you know, they're motivated purely by a hatred of Trump. As instead of being motivated by a desire to give people better health care or fix the roads or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to ask you about your most recent piece uh, in light of the news of the day. That is the uh, Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy Mm-hmm. is retiring, so Donald Trump will get another Supreme Court pick unless Democrats find a way to stop it. But we'll talk more about that with Zoe Tillman from BuzzFeed uh, in the next segment. But your piece about the Koch Network. Yes. Here we are again, the Koch brothers. Yes. Uh, one of the favorite villains here on the show. Uh, they plan to spend millions backing Trump's court pick. And and you point out that uh, they plan on spending seven figures backing President Donald Trump's Supreme Court pick if he nominates a candidate similar to Neil Gorsuch. Uh, how is that going to play out? What's that going to look like? Uh, so we can look at what they did for Gorsuch as yeah. sort of a model. Uh, that was mostly just sort of rallying conservatives to call their senators, say, you know, please support Gorsuch. Yeah. So in many cases, that meant direct mail to conservative voters in key states. Uh, in some cases, they made phone calls. There was some digital advertising targeting um, some of the vulnerable sort of red state Senate Democrats. And it's really just sort of what you'd expect an aggregate package to look like mm. in today's era. Uh, it's They're probably going to spend a little bit over a million dollars doing this. Uh, they won't be the biggest spender. That'll probably be the Judicial Crisis Network, which is another uh, Republican-leaning group sure. uh, that has spent um, you know upwards of $5 million or more on some of the more recent Supreme Court fights. But the Koch Network is putting their muscle behind it. This is probably the area where they are most pleased with Donald Trump has been judges. Um, They've actually recently kind of been feuding with Trump on a few different things. They're very much not happy with with Trump's stances on trade and immigration. Um, One thing that I thought was really remarkable was about a month or so ago, they attacked uh, Congressman Lou Barletta, who is both a favorite of Trump and the GOP's candidate for Senate in Pennsylvania. Uh. Um, They attacked him over immigration which is really sort of a remarkable move on their part, considering they have spent you know, tens of millions of dollars making sure the Senate stays in Republican hands, that they're now attacking a Republican candidate for Senate was kind of eye-opening. That's amazing. And sort of shows that, look, these guys, more so than being allied with Trump, are straight-up ideologues. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That's who they are. Yeah. Um, to, and- to, to, to your point, right, like the, even, even the, quote, never-Trumpers, mm-hmm. the people that, that you know— 
like let's just say Jeff Flake, mm-hmm. I think is sort of the resistance Republican yeah. that people like to point to. He's not going to do anything to stop the Supreme Court pick. Like he's thrilled that a Republican yeah. president gets another Supreme Court pick. Yeah, I mean most thrilled. likely. Right now, Flake is threatening to hold up a whole bunch of court nominations over tariffs. I cannot imagine that that will hold when it comes to the Supreme Court pick. Can I see Jeff Flake holding up a bunch of district court judges because he can? Yeah, I could. And because, well, district court judges aren't that important in the end. Supreme Court judges are very important. I would find it really, really remarkable if Flake or Bob Corker uh, did anything to stand in the way of this. Not the people happen. who could stand in the way of this are Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, uh, who are the sort of two pro, pro-choice, pro I'm going to put those in scare quotes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. argument over how supportive of abortion rights they are at times, uh, are the two who could really somehow mess, mess this up for Republicans. And I do think it's going to be a tough vote for both of them. Really? Yeah. I mean, look, Collins has shown that she's sort of can be swayed by public opinion. She stood up against yeah, um, against Obamacare repeal. Murkowski is sort of less swayed by immediate public opinion, as far as I can tell, partially just because with what she's gone through electorally, she's basically shown that she will get reelected forever if she wants. Yeah. Um, by losing a primary and then winning as a write-in is an incredible thing for her to have done. So I do think that there's a possibility that Democrats could somehow sway them if they can show them that. You know, particularly Collins. Like, Collins is in what is ultimately a Democratic state. If Democrats can make it clear that there will be an electoral price to pay, Collins would be up for re-election, I believe, in 2020. Yeah. Maybe they can somehow sway that, sway that vote, but they also have to keep all of their own voters in line, all their own senators in line, because Joe Manchin and Heidi Heitkamp are going to be really tempted to vote for this. Vote for uh, yeah, no, I mean... <sighs> It's it's going to be very very interesting to see how this plays out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Robillard from Huff Post. Uh, make sure you follow him on Twitter at Robillard R O B I L L A R D. Senior political reporter. Thank you so much for joining us. Read Thanks his good work on. at HuffPost.com. Thank you for coming in, man. All right. Live video, Phil's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com/slash The Bill Press Show. It is the Bill Press Show. Hi, everybody. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. He's out of town on vacation this week. Uh, he, will, he will be back next week. So uh, you're stuck with me, like it or not. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show or follow me on Twitter at Peter Ogburn or follow our next guest. She is the legal reporter for BuzzFeed News, Zoe Tillman. You can follow her on Twitter at Zoe Tillman. Hi, Zoe. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I Well, you know, we, we have a lot of reporters on the show all the time, and it's just like, I feel for all of you, Thank you. so much. We really appreciate that. Whether it's like political reporters, you know, like <laughs> we had a reporter in here yesterday. It was primary night on oh, Tuesday, God, yeah. and they were up late and having to watch all that stuff. And I just like, I feel for you. Because I got to be honest, like in the last year and a half, I've let go of so much stuff. And you know what I did on primary night? I went to bed at like 830. It was wonderful. Get out. it was wonderful it was wonderful i got a great night's sleep i woke up to hell but like i did did, you know like i I just i give it up a lot of this stuff but you unfortunately cannot give up this stuff the last couple of weeks have been totally insane with supreme court news uh yesterday specifically i want to start first of all before we get to the big news with uh anthony kennedy stepping down i want to talk about the janice case uh, with the unions. Tell us a little bit about what brought this case about and how the Supreme Court ruled yesterday. So 
previously, and this goes back to, I think it was 1977's Supreme Court case called the Abood case. And in that case, the court had basically held that even if you were not a member of a public sector union, that uh, you could still uh, be required to pay into the public sector union as a public sector employee, even if you weren't a member. Um, this has been uh, a problem for conservatives for a long time. They felt like this was uh, unfair, compelled speech that by forcing a non-union member to pay dues into a union, and unions then use that money to buy, you know, political engage in speech. That was unfair, you know, in violation of the First Amendment. This has been especially a cause for Justice Samuel Alito. He has written decisions on this issue before. We knew that, you know, if he had the chance, this is something that he would really take the lead on. Mm. The opportunity arose. Um, it was first heard back when Justice Scalia was still on the bench. Um, then Justice Scalia died, and that left the court in a 4-4 split, which meant that the case it basically wasn't resolved. Justice Gorsuch, Neil Gorsuch was confirmed. They had another conservative back on the court, and we got the result that we saw yesterday, which was a ruling that, you know, this kind of compelled, that this was compelled speech in violation of the First Amendment. So you know, I, I, I have my own take on this, right? Like you work in a place that has a union and the unions go to bat to like, you know, make sure that your employers are treating you fairly. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you should be obligated to like take part in that. That's that's my take, but I'm not a Supreme Court justice. Me neither. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> but, uh, it, it's just kind of like um, it, it, when you talk about the Republican access to the Supreme Court, how Republican presidents have, have sort of stacked the Supreme Court up to this point. This is the type of stuff that they really, at their core, believe in. Yeah, I mean, I think you can kind of divide the big divides on the court between sort of the major social issues of the time. And then there's this divide in terms of, you know, economic, business interests, um, yeah. administrative law, and you also see those really big splits there, and they're not as exciting. It's it's harder to get people really excited about public sector unions in the way that you know a lot of people get very you know it's a it's not these hot button social issues, but that is where we also see these very big five four splits is on these types of issues. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on to the big news of the day. Justice Anthony Kennedy yesterday uh, announced he was retiring. Uh, Donald Trump, Ray, the very first clip of Donald Trump saying he's going to start looking for a replacement immediately, which pretty much there, there was the, there was a brief moment of time where Democrats were like, oh, maybe he's going to wait until after the midterms. What? Well, the thing to remember is they've been looking. This process started back during the campaign. You yeah. Know? It's not. I mean, it's not that they're just starting now to look for a replacement. We've had a list. A list names. of what? Twenty five. Twenty five names. It used to be twenty six, and then Justice Gorsuch was on sure. that list. And Maybe it's twenty six because uh, is Judge Jeanine Pirro on the twenty five? She's not. Oh, I bet she's on the short list now. She is not on the list. He said explicitly, "I'm going to choose from the twenty five. So okay. as of now, that's the the universe of names that we're dealing with. So they said, you know, we're going to begin immediately, but that's kind of a. Mm, They've already started. Yeah. They've been doing this for a while. I, I, I want to play uh, uh, Donald Trump yesterday sort of making sure that everybody knew this was no, he was not going to wait until the midterms. We will begin our search for a new justice of the United States Supreme Court that will begin immediately. And hopefully we're going to pick somebody who will be as outstanding. 
Uh, Mitch McConnell made clear they're go- they're going to start with this immediately. Democrats were saying, you know, oh, we didn't get Merrick Garland in an election year. Uh, this is also an election year. You should wait. There's this McConnell rule that Republicans have all intentions of breaking. Um, I want to play the Orrin Hatch clip again because Orrin Hatch, uh, people are saying like, oh, how can you defend holding up Merrick Garland during an election year and also breaking this McConnell rule? Orrin Hatch, Senator Orrin Hatch just sort of just completely laid that to waste. Well, because they're not in control now and they're they're the minority and frankly, uh, I think the American I think the American people uh, have been pretty happy with the choices by the Republicans. So like pretty shamelessly just going out there and being like, yeah, we're, we're going to do this. Just, just screw you guys. It's I mean, so the narrow interpretation of the McConnell rule is that they you know, Republicans are saying it was a presidential, presidential. election year. Yeah. And that because, you know, judicial nominations, it's the president nominates and the Senate advise and consent. Um, this is a, you know, both branches are involved here. And so the McConnell rule, as it were, didn't, you know, doesn't apply to midterms that just involve the Congress. It involved, you know, that was the president who gets to nominate. So that's that's the other, you know, side of that coin in terms of interpreting that. But yeah. yes, I think at this point, everyone on both sides has acknowledged that the process of selecting a Supreme Court justice is incredibly politicized. Anyone who tells you otherwise is living under a rock. Um, this is politics. Yeah. And judges will say, I'm not political. Once I'm on the bench, I'm an independent person. And that's that's a different you know, discussion to have. But in terms of how they get there, it's it's a political process. Yeah, I, I mean, th- th- that was my first reaction, too. Like when I saw Democrats saying, oh, well, you know, we're, they, they should absolutely owe it to the American people that to, to hold off to the. No, they don't. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, they just don't. It, it is a political process. Yeah, I mean, is. this is not a a civil let's get everybody's opinion. This is why you hear people say that like voting for president matters. There are people who vote for president purely because they realize that the Supreme Court matters because that's, it is a political decision. That's how Trump got some, you know, a lot of wary Republicans to back him during the campaign was, yeah. you know, Republicans more, you know, moderate or traditional folks who were looking at him and saying, "How can we vote him as the standard bearer of our party?" and he came forward and said, "But look at all these amazing judges that, you know, I, this is not my world, but I tapped people that you trust yeah. in the conservative legal community, and they helped me put together this list. And a lot of Republicans looked at that and said, yes, this is something I can get behind. To put it plainly, Jeff Flake clearly does not like Donald Trump. Jeff Flake loves Neil Gorsuch. Yes. Loves Neil Gorsuch. Yes. I think you'll and, find a lot of people with that. Yep. And, the, and, and so they'll, I mean, again, this all gets back to it's just politics or it's all politics, right? Like they will deal with the fact that they don't like the president because Roe versus Wade is now going to get overturned. Yeah. That's, that's, that's going to happen. That's line of thinking. That's yeah. going to happen, right? Yeah. Like I, that's going to happen. That That seems like a very likely scenario that we will encounter yeah in the near future what other things are at stake i mean you know john roberts has previously said that roe versus wade is decided law that does not mean that they're not going to bring it back up and they're not going to hear another case on this that could very very most likely will happen but what other things are at stake here? I mean, how how is this going to play out? I mean, we look at things that are quote unquote decided law, but they could get relitigated again. 
So I think one thing that is really important to know here is the White House counsel right now, Don McGahn, who is the primary force in judicial nominations. This is his big thing. He has said that his two priorities are judges and reigning in the administrative state. And that means shrinking government, uh, limiting the ability of government to regulate business, um, and that he is looking for judges who espouse that worldview as well. And that's a big thing for Justice Gorsuch. Yeah. Um, and it's been sort of a more minority, uh, republic, uh, conservative legal view in terms of you know limiting the administrative state. But I think you're going to see the next justice as someone who also espouses that worldview. And that means as cases come up, whether it's environmental regulation, other business regulation. I think you'll start to see more of a shift towards limiting the amount of deference that agencies get when they try to exercise their authority yeah. to regulate. You know, uh, it, it's it, Justice Kennedy was appointed by or nominated by uh, Ronald Reagan. So you might think, oh, OK, it was a Republican president that nominated him. We've got a Republican president that's going to replace him. Not a big deal. But when you look at some of the decisions that Anthony Kennedy took part in, um, he sided with progressives often. Yeah, and gay rights being the really big one. This is the justice who wrote the Obergefell decision, legalizing same-sex marriage across the country. He's written other decisions um, also about LGBT rights. I think there's a lot of concern about what's going to happen, maybe not necessarily with overturning Obergefell. That's a very new yeah. decision. It would be highly unusual for them to come back and so quickly, so quickly reverse that, it. Yeah. But there are other cases coming up, like we saw with the Masterpiece Cake Shop, yeah. in terms of you know, other areas in society where LGBT uh, individuals can sort of interact with the world and ways that um, their rights can still be curtailed or their ability to function freely in society could still be limited in mm. other ways. And I think Obergefell, the same-sex marriage decision, still left unresolved a lot of questions, whether we're talking about the rights of transgender individuals, um, custody or adoption issues related to same-sex couples, uh, speech issues related to if I have a religious objection to someone who's gay, what I can and can't do. So yeah. I think there are still a lot of unresolved questions out there, and maybe uh, having someone who doesn't uh, hold the same views, legal views, worldviews as Justice Kennedy might come out a different way. Um, we haven't even talked about the travel ban. Uh, that was which, a month ago. Yeah, 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 right? yeah, exactly. It was a month ago on Tuesday of this week. Right. Uh, the the travel ban, Donald Trump's travel ban, is upheld. It is law of the land. The Supreme yes. Court has ruled on it. And it seems like such a minor story, but I guess that's just how things go these days. But uh, t tell us a little bit about how they rule, because I thought it was interesting how they sort of threaded the needle and saying, like, basically the president, if we take away the power for Donald Trump to do that, we're sort of handcuffing presidents in the future to do something similar the the constitutional religious animus part of this case kind of receded more into the background you know the court didn't ignore it and they they acknowledged that he had made uh, comments he had called for a Muslim ban he had you know clearly made statements indicating that this was at least in part about religion but basically they said that on the face of the executive order it, it really was facially neutral and that it um, the administration had articulated rational, reasonable uh, justifications for saying we need to temporarily suspend the entry of certain classes of individuals and that under federal law, the president does have a lot of discretion to say for the sake of national security, 
national interest, I decide that we need to, you know, limit who can come through our borders. Mm. And so it really wasn't so much about saying he didn't have a bias against Muslims. It was about saying, setting that aside, the order itself articulated enough reasons for needing this type of ban that it fell within the broad discretion that the president has to make these kinds of decisions when it comes to immigration. Uh, Zoe Tillman is our guest. She's a legal reporter for BuzzFeed News. Follow her on Twitter at Zoe Tillman. Read her good work at BuzzFeed.com. Let's switch gears because I can't talk about the Supreme Court stuff anymore. I just can't. I just can't. Uh, but let's talk about the ongoing trial of Paul Manafort. It's it's. There's been more stuff. Always. Always. Like, what a mess this guy is. What's the – I mean, just I, – I, I hate to throw out such a broad question, but – What's the latest with Paul Manafort? A couple things. Yeah. Since we last spoke. It's been a busy week for this guy. Um, so he's currently in jail. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's at Northern Neck Regional Jail in Warsaw, Virginia. Um, he had a he's had a couple more losses in court. I mean, obviously going to jail was It's a bad one. It was a very big loss. Yeah. Um what was really big was, so he has two cases, right? One in D.C. and one in Virginia. Judge in D.C. already rejected his motion to get that indictment tossed out. This week, we had the judge in Virginia also reject his motion to dismiss the indictment. This, is, this was the second time that he tried to argue that Robert Mueller's appointment as special counsel and the authority he was granted was too broad. He shouldn't have been given this mandate to investigate other things beyond Russian collusion. Paul Manafort, as you'll recall, is not charged with anything right. related to the election. It's financial crimes. Yes. Yet. <laughs> I just had to uh, throw that it's, in. As of now, unrelated. Um, it's financial crimes. It's things related to his work for the Ukrainian government back in the mid to late 2000s. Um, but the judge basically said, you know what? It actually does fall within the Russia investigation because he worked for the pro-Russia political party in power in Ukraine at the time. He worked for the pro-Russia president at the time, Viktor Yanukovych. Um, and the order, his appointment order, Mueller's, had said, you know, you have authority to investigate people connected to the campaign, which Paul Manafort certainly was as the former campaign chairman, and any ties to Russia. And yeah. the judge basically said it is totally natural for prosecutors to try and follow the money and his connections to Russia-affiliated people. And then he has authority to prosecute any crimes that may arise in the course of that investigation. So... I mean, it's pretty obvious. Yeah. I mean, that's that that seems to be the case. Yeah. And it's, I think what was interesting was the judge during arguments had come down quite hard on the government. This is a judge who even in his order this week made clear, I'm not a fan of special counsels. He yeah. explicitly said that. <laughs> but he said in this case, it wasn't grounds to toss out this indictment. Wow. We yeah. uh, so the trial is next month. Yeah. Get excited. <laughs> oh, I, I, well, I, I actually, I, like, it actually feels like we're getting some movement here on this. We'll see. I mean, there's We've been a talking month, about this forever. Forever. A month to go. Um, there are a few more things left to do in the Virginia case, which is the trial starting next month. There are still some motions related to evidence. Paul Manafort is still trying to get this judge to hold a hearing into whether Mueller's office has been leaking to the press. We'll see what happens with that. Um, but he's lost in the D.C. case. He tried to get evidence thrown out that was taken from his house, his storage unit. We're seeing already rulings denying those requests. Yeah. So he's really not had a win for quite a while. Oh, I feel bad for him. No, I don't. But, but it, it, I mean, it's amazing uh, how this is all playing out. You mentioned Robert Mueller. We've talked to you about this before. Like, 
tight-lipped. We're not hearing anything out of the Mueller investigation right now. Not a lot. I think there are. I mean, it's not accurate to say that nothing has come out. We've certainly gotten indications that this person has been called before the grand jury. We've gotten a sense of where the investigation is headed. Uh, But I think there is still a sense that as that information comes out, it's probably not coming from Mueller's office. Yeah. Um, There really hasn't been a whole lot from that end of things. Uh, All right. One other issue that you've also been writing about. uh, Remember when we were all up in arms about what we were doing at the border by ripping children away from their families and um, imprisoning them uh, without their their parents, kids as young as, you know, six months old. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the courts have had a chance to weigh in on this. Uh, how, how, where do we stand with that right now? There was a very big ruling this week um, where a judge in San Diego, federal judge, basically you know, ordered the administration to get it together yeah. and A, stop separating families while they're in immigration detention, and B, he set a very clear timetable for reunifying families who had already been separated. He said you need to get them back together within 30 days. And within 14 days, if the kid is under five years old, it was a very sort of clear, straightforward ruling saying the administration had no plan for doing this. The judge made a point of saying that prisoners are given, you know, some kind of sense of where their property is when it's taken. We do that. But apparently here the administration didn't take steps to give parents similar notice as to where their kids are. He noted the difference in how those two situations are handled. And uh, I think there was a, a tone of. Uh, incredulity throughout the opinion at how this had all unfolded. And he was uh, quite harsh in talking about how we've treated asylum seekers in particular and the separation of kids from parents who arrive at ports of entry seeking asylum. Um, And he basically wrote, I believe the language was something like, this is not who we are. You know, it's uh, it's one of those things that we've talked about on the show a lot, right? When you're looking for why what is happening is happening. Uh, Part of it is because the Trump administration is just so disorganized and such a mess that, like, they don't know what they're doing at the border. And you're separating these kids and you're not keeping track of where these kids are going and where their parents are. And that is a whole entire mess combined with a sort of hateful ideology that we're seeing out of the Trump administration of, like, you know, punishing people that want to come here legally seeking asylum. Uh, and in your piece, you you, you you talk about how the, the judge that ordered the end to most of the family uh, separations, the migrant family separations, called it a chaotic circumstance of the government's own making, yes. which I think we can apply that to just about everything these days. Yeah. I mean, I think it was remarkable. There was a hearing last week and the judge, I mean, I think what's sort of interesting is as these cases get to court, you know, judges are asking a lot of the same questions that reporters are as these things are unfolding in real time. But when you're before a judge, you can't you have to say something. You have to say something. Right. And so it was really the first time we had a situation where a representative of the government was confronted with a question that they had to answer. Right. So this was the first time in this whole situation. Yeah. And the response was, an, you know, I don't know. The lawyer kept saying, I just don't have anything to represent as the judge was asking, what is the plan? What is the communication right now between agencies? And the answer was repeatedly, I don't have anything for you. That's what's really going on here. Yeah, that's what we're really seeing at the highest levels of the government. I mean, it's, it's so funny because they spun us as a nation from the podium uh, of the White House press briefing, from the Oval Office, from wherever. Like they just tried to sort of BS their way out of this situation when we, you know, 
were freaking out about this last week and the week before. Um, but yeah, you can't do that can't, in a court of law. Perjury is on the table, so or contempt, or you know there are consequences for yeah, not answering. Yeah, you get in trouble. Or, yeah. So if you want to really actually know what's going on, <laughs> go to court. Go to court where we found out they don't know. Yeah. And that's where it was last week. I think you're starting to see now that there is an order on the table and there are other consequences for disobeying a court order. Um, so we'll see how compliance with that goes. You know, the Justice Department's response to that order was, you know, the burden is really on Congress here. This is just more evidence that Congress needs to get it together and find a solution to what's going on at the border. Um, the other complication here is there's this settlement agreement out there from 1997 that limits how long kids can stay in detention. So even assuming the government does reunite families in immigration detention, they're then up against what most people have interpreted as a roughly 20-day deadline. And after 20 days, they have to, they cannot keep kids in detention. So they either have to separate them out again or release families. And we've not seen any indication that this administration wants to wholesale release folks. They're not going to do that. So they've asked the judge to change the settlement agreement to allow them to keep kids together with parents in immigration detention. For how long? Indefinitely. Indefinitely. Um, or they've asked Congress, you know, Congress can pass a law that would supersede essentially what the court has done. Um, so someone has to do something or we're going to end up back where we were in a couple weeks. Ah, uh, man. Zoe Tillman from BuzzFeed News. I feel like uh, that was a real downer for you. And well, you look, I mean, I mean, everything look, is a downer. I really brought the room down. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, look. I mean, you you cover legal news, and like, there's just there's just so much of it that's just kind of depressing. And yeah. it, and 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 again, I say this all the time. No matter what side of the political aisle you're on, like, you should be watching this and going, like, they have no idea what they're doing. And by their own admission, yes. they have no idea what they're doing. Yep. So on that note. Thank you for joining us. Uh, legal reporter for BuzzFeed News. Follow her on Twitter at Zoe Tillman. And if you're just tuning into the show or just caught the, caught, the la caught the last half hour, go get the whole podcast on iTunes for Bill Press Show. We'll see you tomorrow. Everybody. This is the Bill Press Show. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> Auto Trader.